Find out which guests are being featured this week. Read our network press releases and read the blog posts from your favorite hosts. Go to iradioblog.com today. Powered by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. I need somebody, help, not just anybody, help, you know I need someone, help. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Natalie, your host. I'm a physician trained in Britain, living in Canada, and who's worked in the U.S. Since retiring from medical practice, I've become an activist for family caregiving, which explains the name of the show, Family Caregivers Unite. Now, our topic today is prostate cancer and North American Caribbean communities. So uh, let's talk a bit about prostate cancer. Well, it's obviously cancer that starts in the prostate gland. And the prostate gland is a small walnut-sized structure that makes up part of a man's reproductive system. The prostate gland wraps around the passageway that carries the urine out of the body. Um, Prostate cancer is the third most common cause of death from cancer in men of all ages. It's the most common cause of death from cancer in men over 75. And people who are at increased risk of prostate cancer include African-American and African-Canadian men and men who have a father or brother who develop prostate cancer. Now, there's a problem, and it's diagnosing prostate cancer. And the problem is that most men, and I'm one of them, as they grow older, get an enlarged prostate. But the enlargement isn't from cancer. But here's the problem. The symptoms of enlarged prostate are nearly the same as those of prostate cancer. And the only test, the only real test that can actually confirm or not the cancer diagnosis involves taking a sample of the prostate for viewing underneath a microscope. So one of the challenges of prostate cancer is getting the diagnosis right, which requires men to go for tests. Now, to discuss this problem of getting men going for tests and many other important things, our guest today is Dr. Winston Isaac. Now, Dr. Isaac is co-founder of the Walnut Foundation, a men's health interest and support group dedicated to development and education of black men and the black community in taking responsibility for their health. He's associate professor in the School of Health Services Management at Ryerson University in Toronto. He holds undergraduate degrees in science, psychology, business administration. 
At the master's level, he holds degrees in adult education and health administration. And at the PhD level, he holds a PhD in adult and continuing education. His academic career includes program director at the Michener Institute, program coordinator with Ryerson's Chang School, and director for Ryerson's School of Health Services Management. He's a certified health executive with the Canadian College of Health Leaders, and his healthcare experience includes health policy analyst with the Ontario's with Ontario's Health Ministry and reviewer for accrediting health administration programs across North America. Welcome to the show, Winston. Thanks very much, Gordon. Okay, now I'm going to go straight away and start asking you some questions. Okay. The very, the very first question I want to ask you is, please would you tell us more about your research and your other work in healthcare? Okay. Okay, I will start with my work in healthcare. I am a trained respiratory therapist, having graduated from the Michener Institute in Toronto, and at the time when that institute was called the Toronto Institute of Medical Technology. I worked as a staff therapist, clinical coordinator, and later program director at the Michener Institute. I have managed at many levels in healthcare, from your basic manager up to senior director in a program management structure in a long-term care facility. I have done all the different types of healthcare organizations. I've done acute care, long-term care, long-term complex care. I've done, I've done it all. In this, and that really serves me well. And as you mentioned, I have, Gordon, I have worked as a health policy analyst with the Ministry of Health for a period of time. So I have seen healthcare from many different angles. As now, far, talking, talking of which, I want you to tell us about your experience with prostate cancer, which is another way, another pair of eyeglasses through which you viewed the healthcare system. Your own experience with prostate cancer, Winston. Okay. Well, I, I became aware. I was peripherally aware of prostate cancer, being a healthcare person, and also having conversations with my wife, Marie, who worked in oncology for over 33 years at Princess Margaret Hospital in Toronto. So the awareness made me monitor my own prostate health, especially once I had turned 45, 50 and at that point, I had initiated the conversation with my own family doctor because it was never brought up until I brought it up. I said, you know, knowing that my risk could be, I would like to start monitoring my, my, my situation. So I became very vigilant when a first cousin of mine was diagnosed with prostate cancer and he was treated with surgery. And later on, I had another close relative who went through the same situation, diagnosed with prostate cancer, and surgery. And these two guys were less than 60 years old at the time when they were diagnosed. So, of course, I kept my eyes on my own prostate, um, seeing what was happening. So, in, nine, in 2002, sorry, my PSA reading came back, and I, I'm going to say slightly elevated. And I say slightly elevated because the test, because it was not like your textbook value, your textbook value, sorry. The normal piece, it was normal for my age, 
But then when I look back at what it had been the year before, I realized, and I'm saying I realized because, again, my family physician didn't pick that up, I realized that there had been a jump, and this is what has been referred to as a spike. So even though my values were considered normal, there had been what I call a significant increase from the previous year. Of course, I took things in my own hands and pressed to have further further evaluation. And, of course, that included a biopsy. And it came back that I had early-stage prostate cancer of an aggressive type. So after much research of treatment options, I settled to be treated with brachytherapy at Princess Margaret Hospital in Toronto in April of 2003. With brachytherapy, small radioactive seeds are directly implanted into the prostate under general anesthesia. And since then, I have signed up for research projects at Princess Margaret, so I still get monitored, even though it's been eight years, and they will monitor me for the next two years and, again, being part of their research project. Now, Winston, just one question you, you talked about a PSA test. Right. What's that exactly? Okay, good question there, Gordon. The, PS, the PSA stands for spe- um, prostate-specific antigen, and that's a blood test that is done to test for um, the levels in your blood. Now, I know that some people are not very enamored by it, but I think it's a good indicator. So it lets you know how much, how much prostate-specific antigen is running around, and usually elevation would mean that there's something happening with the prostate. And most times I would say it's more for prostate cancer than your basic um, enlargement of prostate. But there are some men who go around with higher levels of, of PSA who do not necessarily have prostate cancer. That's very helpful. Thank you. Now, I want you to tell us, please, what led you to found the Walnut Foundation and what is its, what are its purposes? Okay. Thanks again. Great question. The Walnut Foundation could be classified as a men's health interest group designed to bring awareness to health issues and it was strict. I started out by looking at black and, Carib- and the Caribbean community. Initially, it was intended to focus on prostate cancer, but I cha- we changed our plans to broaden the scope of the activities of the Walnut Foundation, due in part to the low uptake from the com- Caribbean community regarding anything surrounding prostate cancer, and we can discuss some of that later, and also to the fact that I felt there was a need to educate the black, the black men in the community about health issues. So once I had my treatment and diagnosis, I did some reflection and I thought, I need to do something for the community because I realized even with my own healthcare background and my exposure that I didn't know enough and I wasn't prepared enough for my situation. So when I thought of other people, I thought, well, Maybe there is a need for me to do this, make a contribution to educating men about health issues, and as I say, especially black men, and prostate cancer. And after years of thinking about how am I going to do this, a friend came across, a friend of mine, he suffered the same, well, sorry, I met this guy who became a friend, and he had been diagnosed at a very young age, 
and he felt that he had to do something as well. So we put our two heads together and started the, well, what became the Walnut Foundation. So since the fall of 2007, what we've been doing is conducting, conducting monthly meetings and we provide health information to men, and sometimes we invite some women, but the sessions are mostly men, and they're supportive type of sessions. Um, we provide information, we have discussion, men have a chance to ask questions. Nobody is um, required to talk about their own particular situation. So we get men coming with a wide range of interests, and of course, I find that the men are now getting tuned in to prostate cancer and other prostate health situations. So we encourage men to utilize the health system in an appropriate manner, make sure that they visit their doctors, and one of the things we're trying to get men to do is make sure they understand the results, not to be happy when the physician says you're normal. Now, I'm going to stop you, Winston, that's a great point, and I'm going to stop you there because we do have to take the break right? uh, because we have to pay our rent, but we're coming back and we're going to discuss more of that. Um, that This is a very very heartwarming story we're hearing. Now, it is time for us to take the break. This is Dr. Gordon Ladley, and my guest is Dr. Winston Isaac. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please stay with us. We will be back. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Tune in every Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific time for The Growth Strategist with Aldana Ambler. On the show, Aldana and some of today's top business professionals will discuss some of today's most pressing business issues that hold you, the business owner, back. Aldana will also give you 21 ways to grow with her list of growth strategies. Grow smart. Grow profit. And grow your business with Aldana Ambler and the Grow Strategist every Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. What would you do if you knew that you could not fail? The Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basile is a radio forum for some of the world's most influential people in the fields of health, wellness, and human potential. Dr. Pat brings together and introduces visionary scientists and futurists, environmentalists, educators, business leaders, inventors, filmmakers, authors, artists, mystics, and healers who inspire and support individual and collective growth and positive cultural shifts. This award-winning radio show empowers the listening community to be the change they want to see in the world. Tune in every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific for the Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basile, radio to thrive by. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at mymonami.com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Dr. Winston Isaac. Our topic is prostate cancer and North America's Caribbean communities. Now, I want to talk now with Winston about 
understanding of prostate cancer risk. And just before the the break, uh, he talked about the importance of getting men to challenge the system in effect by wanting to know what the results are and understanding what those results are actually mean. So I'm now going to ask you, because you're a research worker, Winston, I'm going to ask you, what do the prostate cancer statistics tell us about the prostate cancer risk for black men generally and the Caribbean community in particular? But one of the issues that I have, Gordon, is that we're not getting enough race-based statistics in Canada. And even in some parts of the U.S., we are not getting, getting enough. So I'm generally not happy with what's available. Now, anecdotally, we know that there are high levels of prostate cancer in the black community. And sadly, you know, we only know of the situation because we are coming across people, men who have had a bad time with it, and we go to funerals, and just to learn that you know somebody has died from prostate cancer. So there is a bit of a concern, as far as I'm concerned, regarding what is available. Um, in a, in I saw a report the other day from the American Cancer Society, and it was for 2010. And they stated that in their cancer facts and figures that the probability of developing prostate cancer in blacks is 1 in 26 at age 50 and 1 in 9 at age 70. If we compare that with Caucasians, white men, at the same age of 50, it's 1 in 47. So it's almost twice as much in the black group. And at age 70, it's 1 in 12. So there's a little bit of a leveling out later on in life. And my concern is that too many young men of the black race are going down to prostate cancer. And many times when we see, the, when we see or hear of individuals, meaning black men, who have suffered from prostate cancer, their cases are really sad cases because they're found out later and of course, we can discuss that later as to the cause of that. But we we need to know that um, there are opportunities for men to be diagnosed a bit earlier. And again, we can talk about early diagnosis and what and what the outcomes will be. Okay. Now, I'm going to ask you a question, which is an obvious one, which is why are we're not collecting the race-based statistics relating to this serious um, disorder, this serious disease. And my next question is paired with that. Is lobbying for those statistics the kind of thing that the Walnut Foundation does or that you do personally through your academic appointments? Mm-hmm. Okay, not so much in my academic appointment, but I... I have it down as one of, well, we have it down as one of objectives to do more lobbying. So we hope to be working more with Prostate Cancer Canada. Uh, the only difficulty with that is it seems as if in order to work effectively with Prostate Cancer Canada, you have to give up your identity and become part of them. And that's not going to meet our needs. So, yes, lobbying, we have to get out there. And I tell my guys all the time, we have to become more vocal. First of all, we have to educate ourselves regarding the needs, and we have to get out there and do more lobbying. 
And I would really, well, you know, we can talk about it again, sorry, later, but one of the things I would like to see is that um, there's a change in policy regarding men's health and men's health issues. I'm not sure if I touched on all the areas there for you, Gordon. Yes, that okay. we're going to come back to that okay. in a different way um, mm-hmm. later on because right. it's crucial. Mm-hmm. But I want to ask you this general question now mm-hmm. okay. h- about how well understood really in the community of men and mm-hmm. the community of black men, mm-hmm. how well understood really is the challenge of prostate cancer risk? You know, I don't think it's well understood, to be honest. In the com- in men themselves, and I know black men for sure, I don't think they're really aware how how important it is to be, you know, concerned. Because I don't know that they know that the race itself is a risk factor. And we try to get that information out. And I, I had an incident the other day where I said that, and of course, people thought, well, you know, you're just thinking that black men are sort of inferior to white men. So there, there are some things we have to get over, and one of it we have to face up to the facts. And I, I don't think that the medical community in general is aware enough about the risk of prostate cancer for black men. And we have some, well, in the black community, we have some black physicians who... I don't think they pay enough attention, and I think some of them are uncomfortable with the whole thing to tell a black man that, you know, start getting tested because you're at risk, you know, you could be at risk of um, being a prostate cancer um, patient at some point. So it, it happens that if black men are depending on some of the medical community members to instruct them, then it's not happening, and it could be for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Perfectly fair. Now, what I'm going to just make a comment back to you, and that mm-hmm. is that all of, I, my background is involves epidemiology, as right. I think some of your background does. And we both know that certain diseases do af- affect differentially certain people of certain backgrounds that is to say depending what your your heritage is Mm -hmm, your your racial heritage you might be more or less susceptible to particular diseases so i'm really saying that Mm -hmm. because it's an argument i'm sure you use which is yeah Prostate cancer is us, but there are all mm-hmm. kinds of other things which fall to other people, which go with their heritages. So there's nothing discriminatory about it. There's nothing controversial about it. This is one of those things that nature does that we don't understand. Winston, I've been a bit aggressive in that answer, in that and, response but, to you. How well do you do you agree with me? I totally agree with you, Gordon. And I use that information all the time because whenever I get any pushback, I said, we're not the only ones who are targeted by Mother Nature for <laughs> yes. a specific disease, you know. And then, yes, I do use other, uh, other examples. And you can see the awakening and the eyes opening and people realizing, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. Now, you mentioned that your wife, yep. um, who, who'd worked in healthcare for 33 years, I think you said, in right. a very important role, mm-hmm. um, she helped prod you into some kind of action. Um, 
Is that uh, a strategy that th you think would work within the men and the black men community? That is to say, for their wives to take more notice of their husband's health when they get, you know, into their 50s and beyond. What do you think? Oh, Gordon, this is such a great comment because we strongly we see that happening very much in the black community. It's the wives who are behind the guys to make sure that they look after themselves. And one of the things that we do from our foundation, our men's activities, is to encourage the spouses and the wives to get involved because we know that they are playing an extremely important part. And when I go out and talk to mixed groups, I get such a strong, positive response from the women because they're so pleased to get the information so they can use it to um, enhance, you know, the life, the lives of, of their men. So women, yes, women in the black community, they play a very great part in getting the men out uh, to see physicians. And what we are also finding is that with our Walnut Foundation, that the wives are making sure that the men come to the meetings. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Um, because I suppose all men, to some degree, is this mm -hmm. right, yeah. are a bit reluctant to talk about these things. Um, and sometimes having somebody, let's use the word, nag you about mm -hmm. your own health right. is a useful thing. Are, are men, are the men mm -hmm. you come in contact with, black men and men generally, mm -hmm. reluctant to talk about things like prostate cancer? Very much so, Gordon. And one one the oh, the successes we've been ha we've had is that men are now opening up and talking about prostate cancer. So what we've been trying to do is to create I would what I call a safe and comfortable environment. So men are now comfortable. And what's been happening is that those men who've had um, the experience with prostate cancer, they're now opening up and talking to the other guys about it. And when we have meetings, there are guys saying, well, you know, my, it's time for me to go for my PSA and I'll be going in a month or whatever. And then they come back and tell us the results. <laughs> yes. You know, I am so pleased to see this. You know, I'm just having a great time with it because I think that's where we need to go. We need it to get there. And it's happening very slowly, but it's happening. Yeah. And you're a living, working example, aren't you, mm -hmm, of what sure. happens when, let me be straight with you, mm -hmm, a wife, sure. your wife presses mm -hmm. you and you go for the tests and you yeah. follow up and you subject yourself to this uh, biopsy procedure. They right. find things out and they treat you and mm -hmm. there you are, a living example. That's, That's powerful, right. isn't it? It is. I, I feel really good about that because, again, without that you know, that support and that prodding and the encouragement. And yes, because I keep telling the guys, you know, that um, early diagnosis, you have choices in your treatment and, and you can have good positive outcomes with it. Yeah, yeah. Now, we, the time is upon us again when we have to take the break, but we're coming back to this vital discussion. So let's take the break now. We do have to pay the rent. Mm -hmm. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest's guest is Dr. Winston Isaac. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. We're coming back. Follow us on Twitter at Voice America TRN. 
Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN. Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it'll be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. Is your computer making your life easier or more of a headache? Are you using all of the tools to make your life more productive and less of a stress? You need to listen to the Microsoft Princess Insider with Melanie Goss, dubbed the Microsoft Princess. Melanie has been a certified expert in all things Microsoft since 1998, and her expertise will have you taking back control of your life and letting your computer handle the efficiency of day-to-day projects. The Microsoft Princess Insider airs live every Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com you know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at M-Y-M-O-N-A-M-I dot com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Dr. Winston Isaac. Our topic is prostate cancer and North America's Caribbean communities. So let's talk more about the challenges of prostate cancer. Now, you've talked a lot about the challenges, um, and I'm wanting to know what you see as the biggest challenge or challenges that need to be overcome in battling prostate cancer. And I'm going to start off with a leading question. Is it fear of the, the biopsy stage that holds some men back, or is it other things? What are, and if it is other things, what are they and what are their biggest challenges? Winston? Okay, good. I, yeah, you know, I, I think not so much the fear of the biopsy because sometimes the guys don't even know about the biopsy until very much later. When I, when I think about the challenges, I think about the information not being out there enough. And so there's a, and also a lack of awareness of some of the, of the frontline healthcare providers, um, and sometimes lack of some of support from community groups because in the in the Caribbean community we tend to gravitate towards groups that are supportive in some way, not necessarily just medicine, but social events and things like that. But I think one of the biggest one is the stigma of a positive prostate cancer diagnosis. In the black community, um, when people have a positive prostate cancer diagnosis, it's a signal that, first of all, for the guys, their sex life is over. And that is such a bunch of malarkey, as we would say. Yes, yes. And so we need to educate in that area, and we try to do that with the Walnut Foundation. And later on, some well, when they learn about the biopsy and the method in which it's going to be done, there is this um, 
not fear but reluctance to have their prostate biopsied with instruments going into their bodies. And that ties in with the digital rectal examination. Um, some guys don't get evaluated because they associate the rectal examination with a sex act. And they are concerned that other people might think that if they're having the rectal examination on a regular basis, then they must be enjoying it. So, you know, we, so we have to diffuse all that myth. So, yes, yeah, so, so there are big challenges out there, and I think we have to get the education going and keep it going, remove the stigma stuff from, from, um, from prostate cancer. Uh, I hope that answers some of the um, it, it does. that you may um, have had. It really does. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just want to press forward mm-hmm. with it um, in another way. Right. And this is a tough question to ask, okay. but... The stigmatization you were talking about that attaches mm-hmm. to a positive diagnosis, right. does that mean for any men that they might be thought of having had some kind of bad life in the past and somehow this is sort of some sort of bad after effect of, and I'm going to use a phrase, loose living in, mm-hmm. in their youth. Is that an influence? That is an influence. Um, and it's not only for prostate cancer, but I know when I grew up in the Caribbean, there were some areas that felt that if you know if you're afflicted with something, it's punishment for bad deeds. And with the prostate cancer, there were so many theories, um, and I don't mean academic theories, but you know many thoughts yes. that go around the community. It's either yes, you're you know you're and I'm going to use a term which may be not be familiar with you. You were the village ram. In other words, you, you, know, you had too many sexual partners. And um, this is, you know, you've maybe caused this, you brought this problem onto yourself in that sense. And yes, sometimes, again, it's punishment for stuff that you've done. You might have been bad to your wife or bad to your kids. Or, there are a whole host of social stigmatization thoughts that run through, run through the community. How do you actually deal with that idea that it was the bad life you led that's the cause of the cancer and not nature's lottery? Right. How do you deal? How, what are the arguments you use oh, with, so, with yeah, men? So the arguments we use is that we never know what, what illnesses we're going to get. And we use examples of people who've lived wholesome lives and yet, you know, they do get ill and things do strike. And we try to show them that that is just what, what, you know, is just what people have thought and there is no basis for, for that thinking. And um, you get people examining their own lives and they realize, no, I wasn't such a horrible person. So it's the conversation, Gordon, that really helps because we get down to real nitty-gritty when we do have conversations with individuals. And I think we need more opportunities for that. So with our Walnut Foundation, we try to have discussions that are understandable by, by all the men. Because in our group, you, you have men with varying levels of education, and you cannot go giving a, 
I would call a high-level scientific presentation for everything. You've got to make it relevant. So you have to get, yeah, so you get people to look at their lives. Do they think they've been that bad? Of course not. So let's move on and, you know, live our yes. lives, but take care of the situation at hand. Yeah. Now, you've mentioned once, twice that doctors um, aren't, aren't always very clear about the kind of challenges that um, black men and men generally um, face with, a prostate, with prostate cancer and a diagnosis of prostate cancer. So I'm going to ask you to, to, to make a generalization. Mm-hmm. Healthcare professionals generally, how well do they understand these sorts of challenges that you've been talking about just now? Well, I think, again, there, is a, there isn't a high level of understanding. And it's not that I expect every healthcare professional to be educated in every branch of medicine. My expectation is that they should know that there could be some stigmas attached to certain diseases, and they should try and find out. But I, I, have a, I know that um, it's difficult to uh, give the time that's needed to each patient to have a, what I call a meaningful conversation. And I think that's part of, of the issue, really, because um, we need to know that the healthcare providers can have what I call a positive discussion about prostate cancer diagnosis. So you don't wait until it happens. And we need to see, I would say, more focus on men's health and what the needs of men are when it comes to health. Um, the, you know, the, I, again, I don't expect medical school to be able to educate everyone or, or other health professions regarding cultural sensitivity and what is taboo in different societies. But I think as individuals, we need, um, I would say healthcare professionals need to be aware that there may be some factors that are not being dealt with upfront and that they need to get those um, factors dealt with, whether by themselves or by referral, and um, just make sure that um, things are meeting the needs of the individual. The, again, I'm coming back to you with a sure. question, but a comment first. That, what you've just said about meeting the needs of people, mm-hmm. um, I think healthcare is slowly starting to understand this. Right. But as you mentioned, and you were very kind in doing it, yeah, maybe, you know, time is always a pressure. But the fact of the matter is that when you're talking about, first of all, cancer anyway, which is a frightening diagnosis for mm-hmm. anybody to receive. Right. I don't care who they are. That's right. And if it involves a part of the body about which you're a little bit sensitive anyway mm-hmm. for all kinds right. of reasons, then somebody needs to sit and talk with you about what this all means mm-hmm. and what's going to happen to you and the rest of it. Now, right. what I, I'm coming back, and I'm really asking the same question, but okay. to what extent do healthcare professionals try to go through that kind of discussion with somebody who's sitting there, they've just read the numbers from the test and mm-hmm. say, your PSA doesn't look right. We think we're going to have to send you somewhere. Does anybody, do the healthcare professionals know what to say next to the black man or any man for whom 
the prospect of prostate cancer carries all these messages. Long question, long-winded question. No, it's okay. What do you think? Yeah, we've heard some horror stories in our group where a guy was given the information about the last prostate prostate specific antigen test and that there's a possibility of cancer, come back and see me in three months. And that, you know, that is so, it is such a difficult thing for somebody who doesn't have the information to deal with that. Um, I've, I've heard of other cases where the information didn't even get communicated because the physician thought that somebody else had done it. But if we deal with the situation where the information is given to the patient or to the person and to say come back in three months and not saying what is happening in the meanwhile because sometimes they're not dismissing the, the person. They may be making plans for a referral, but sometimes they don't say that. So the person left hanging in between thinking about cancer and, as you rightly said, a diagnosis of cancer, it's something that many of us have a lot of trouble dealing with. So we, we need to be able to provide the time so people can get their questions answered, at least release, release some of the fears and the anxieties, because you can have fears associated with treatment. If, you, if I'm going to for treatment, what's going to happen to me? And then what's going to happen to my sexual function after treatment? Because that exactly. is a major question that I hear from the guys all the time. Right. Now, we're coming back in yep. a moment because, again, it's the time to take the break. Okay. Um, this is Dr. Gordon Adley. My guest is Dr. Winston Isaac. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. We are coming back. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Entrepreneurial Insights is your weekly excursion into the world of business ownership. Presented by Sunbelt Business Brokers, the leading business brokerage and intermediary firm in the world, Entrepreneurial Insights will examine critical issues that impact both existing and prospective business owners. If you own or want to own a small business, listen for Entrepreneurial Insights with John Davies, Pino Boccianello, and Matt Ottaway. Fridays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America Network proudly presents the Catherine Zox Show for women, men, children, and families. Catherine magically combines her compassion, experience, and talent to bring listeners a show that's upbeat, informative, and yes, a little sassy. Tune in every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern to the Catherine Zox Show on the Voice America channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's Doc, letter G, at M-Y-M-O-N-A-M-I dot com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. 
Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Dr. Winston Isaac. Our topic is prostate cancer and North America's Caribbean communities. Now, Winston, I'm going to really put you on the spot on this one because I'm going to say, let's suppose you're a politician and you're seeking election and that your platform is fighting prostate cancer. Mm -hmm. And let's suppose... Also, that you're speaking to an audience of potential voters, men and their partners. So, uh, Mr. Would-be Politician Winston, (laughs) what changes would you advocate and how would you explain the importance of these changes to your audience? Okay. Well, one one of the first changes I, I would like to see is that we have to change the policy so that there's a real focus on men's health. So when we get that going, we can deal with all the issues related to men's health. But, of course, there needs to be a strong focus on prostate cancer, on its evaluation, how do we get to a diagnosis. So I'm going to say we need to be able to provide funding for the PSA, the the, um, prostate-specific antigen test, I know that it's a little bit controversial within some communities, and that's why there isn't a push from some groups to have it funded. But it's one, what I would call the very basic test that we have at this point in time. So we need to put that in place. And again, on my platform, I'll be pushing for that. Um, when I get the argument that some people might give that you, there are false positives and some false negatives to this test, it happens in medicine. Not everything is as straightforward as we would like to have it, but I would like to see that men, and I'm going to go for the black men right now, because, because we tend to be getting diagnosed earlier these days, I want to see screening starting after age 40 and continuing until we don't need it anymore. So there is need to have a compelling prostate cancer awareness campaign as well. And in the campaign, we want to target groups, and not only black groups, but we want to target men in specific communities, talk their language, get to know what the nuances are in their own areas, what are their fears, what are their concerns, so you can talk to them in their own language. we have to get it changed that um, prostate cancer is an old man's disease. Because as I mentioned, I'm seeing guys in the, in the early 40s. I met a guy the other day who was 44 years old when he was diagnosed, and his situation required immediate surgery or immediate treatment, and he had surgery. I have a friend who was diagnosed at 40 years old, and he opted for surgery. So we need to make um, prostate cancer a program a real program in the health and wellness centers. We need to make sure those centers have nurse practitioners who are well-trained in prostate cancer awareness. I don't think we can burden the frontline physicians as much as some people would like because this is only one aspect of healthcare. So if we have people who are specially trained for that, nurse practitioners, I think that men will get more attention. Um, it's not unusual to find healthcare practitioners who have a bias, so we need to get that bias out, um, get them away from their own biases, and let them look at the disease as a disease rather than something that they have a personal bias against. 
So those are some of the things I would I would like to see. And yeah, as I say, we need to have health and care centers that focus on men's health. Yep. Um, let me just say straight away, as a man of the of the age group that you're speaking to, I'm certainly going to vote for you. Thank you. <laughs> now, but I have another question. Mm-hmm. Let's say me and all the rest of us are successful mm-hmm. in getting you elected right. and that your program is put into place and that it achieves all you wanted it to achieve. What exactly would have been achieved and what would the benefits have been and who would the benefits flow to? Okay, good stuff. I, I would say that the communities would be made more aware of prostate cancer. Remember I mentioned that I want to go to the different communities and get the information that is specific to these individuals to them so they can make informed decisions, they can understand what screening about. So I would, I would imagine, not I would imagine, I know that screening would be on the rise and to counteract that, I know that the death from prostate cancer will be significantly decreased. So we may be spending more on screening, but we won't be spending a lot on the end stage of the disease, which is such a burdensome thing. It's so burdensome for the individual, for their families, for the communities, and the healthcare system. We know that if we prevent a disease, we don't have to deal with the curative side. And we know that if you get early diagnosis, then we can do less invasive or the less expensive treatment because money does talk and we need to know that we're spending less in the areas that we can modify or, or planning. Um, I, would, I would know that there will be less black men presenting with late-stage prostate cancer, and that is a major concern right now. So with the new programming, that's going to go. Um, the health and care centers that I mentioned, I, I know that will be working collaboratively with community groups, and because of the community connection, and having the medical support that there'll be better information out there. So I'll be looking for that as well. Now, other benefits that I would see then would be less human suffering, less expenditure on the curative side, as I mentioned before, better prepared health providers to deliver prostate cancer care, and more productive human beings. Yeah. And I doubt one. It, it fits in with your with your concept of saving money. It would keep people out of hospital, wouldn't That's it? That's right, definitely. Because you can't treat prostate cancer at home, but no. you can certainly look after um, the prevention aspect of it, especially if you bring in the the, the spouses and partners uh, in the home and just go out for tests. So that's a very powerful set of arguments. Mm-hmm. Now, I also want to ask you this, and this goes back to you as a researcher. Okay. You'd said earlier that the statistics, you weren't satisfied with the statistics about prostate cancer in the black community. Um, would part of your platform then be to improve the, what we'd call the data gathering, the statistical collection about the particular groups in the community, race-based, whatever you, ethnic, mm-hmm. ethnic, ethnic-based, so that we do have a better handle on just how unfairly nature treats these particular groups with this particular condition. What do you think? Oh, definitely. You know, there would have to be funding to um, 
look at data, yep, data collection, data management, um, fund some more research um, specific to different groups. I mean, currently we do that in some other diseases, hypertension, diabetes. So let's get prostate cancer in that ballpark as well. So yes, it has to be, it, yeah, there has to be good support for data collection. And again, as I said, the education side, because you have to let people know that it's to their benefit that these um, research projects be conducted, that they're willing to be open to responding to questionnaires. Um, I, I, and I, I've been suggesting that to my men, you know, look out there and see where there are questionnaires that you can be a part of because it's going to help us all in the future. So what that comes now to is a kind of political campaign, doesn't it, mm-hmm. of, you said it, getting men's health recognized within it, getting the problem of prostate cancer in the black community recognized for what it is, mm-hmm. measured, right. uh, sus- systems and services organized to respond to it, mm-hmm. and gathering data to show that the benefits are real That's in all right. the ways you described them. Now, let me just ask you this. Has anybody done any research that will show how much prostate cancer as it now is, with its treatment or with its, the way in which it isn't diagnosed soon enough, how much is that costing the healthcare system? You know, know? Gordon, I, I, I haven't seen that, but that's... I'm, I'm sure the, the numbers will be staggering regarding the treatment side of things because if we are not doing enough on the screening side, it means that much of it is going towards the stage where treatment would be required. But that's, a, you know, we need to do some, some sort of health economic evaluation around that area because I think that would convince the policymakers that we need to be more careful and put more attention on the upfront side of prostate cancer. Right. Now, it seems to me that there's another factor which you've highlighted more than once, and that is that there's nothing really to tell the guy who's getting prostate cancer that he is, in fact, getting it. When I say nothing to Mm -hmm. tell him, I mean nothing in his body is signaling the message to him. Mm -hmm. So the only way that he is going to be alerted to the need to get the tests or whatever it is, um, is by people speaking to him, talking to him, addressing him, campaigning for and with him, because in the end, uh, he has to go on trust that Mm -hmm. going to the healthcare system is going to do the test, which will say yes or no, and if the answer, unfortunately, is yes, they they will give him the treatment. So that's right, isn't it, that we've got to get to the people in the way that you're doing, and that Mm -hmm. takes me right back to the beginning again. Your Walnut Foundation, uh, that's its work. And I know you're doing well because you've had all kinds of media publicity, which is superb. And I want to say to you that um, I can only urge you to keep going because this is powerful work dealing with a powerful question. Because after all, if the condition is spotted early enough and you're the living example, Mm -hmm. it can be cured. That's right. 
All right. Now, we're going to run out of time, unfortunately, but I would invite our listeners, and thank you to them for listening, please email us with comments and questions, and I'd be glad to pass them on to Dr. Dr. Isaac. And I want to say to you, Winston, thank you for sharing with us everything everything about what you're doing and your own experience and the way in which you looked back and decided that you were going to put something back through effort to make things better, to improve the health of your own community and communities around you. And so for all our sakes, I wish you every possible success in what you're doing. And I hope that this broadcast will be useful to you in promoting the story. And if you would ever like to do another one um, on some other aspect of this work, just ask, because I'd be delighted to work with you again. Thank now, you. It, okay. In our next episode... We'll talk about treatment for attention deficit hyperactive disorder without Ritalin. Please join us, same time, same spot on the Internet. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I do appreciate you being Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.